0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: Hello and welcome back to Leaving Hillsong I hope you've had a great week thanks as always for all the support and messages and comments they're always really really helpful now I've known Emily for about 10 or 12 years we can't quite remember she messaged me way back when she hadn't been out of Hillsong that long and we've talked here and there over the years and even talked a bit about putting stories together so it's really exciting that we finally got to sit down have this conversation and there's just so much in it I know you're really going to enjoy Emily was based in London for a while with Hillsong and she's got lots to report so here's my favorite color with Emily so You grew up in a Christian home, though, didn't you? So church, not a foreign thing to you?
0: Yeah, exactly. I I grew up in a church. I didn't know anything other than church. And particularly because I was so interested in music and being in a Pentecostal evangelical environment, it was like you couldn't get away from being around music. So I was like, this is cool. I was like, this is great. I love the music. You know, my dad was a music teacher. He was a worship leader. So really my entire existence from like not to well, late into my twenties was just church and it was just what I knew. It was just everything that I knew. It was what I, what my life was, was centered around really. I don't know the official term for it, but it was what people call happy clappies.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know. All right. And then when, when did Hillsong become a part of your life?
0: Yes. So I was thinking about this and I remember being about maybe 10. And I remember hearing about this woman, Darlene Check, and I was just like, "Whoa!" And the music back in the day, you used to like get these mail order worship CDs, like sent to you, and you could sign up for like a monthly subscription, and you'd get the mail order CD, and if you liked it, you kept it and had to buy it, and then if you didn't, you sent it back. And but I remember particularly hearing Hillsong for the first time, and it was like this musical kind of like excitement just came over me. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're singing about Jesus and they sound really cool. And I love the music and it's fast and it's, oh, and the woman's good looking. And, (laughs) but I remember kind of just being really attracted to Hillsong as a church because of their music. And it stuck with me. And I was, uh, I was teaching myself the drums. I was teaching myself guitar, piano. Yeah, it was the music and it was the, The whole thing was just really attractive. And so I kind of kept that in the back of my head for a few years. And when it came to deciding where I was going to go for uni, I chose London. And it wasn't because of Hillsong, I didn't even know it existed there at the time. But I ended up going on this pop music course playing drums in London for my degree. And then soon after I got to London, someone was like, Oh, you know, there's a Hillsong here, right? And I was like, What? So we went, and it was just like this magical experience of like at the time, Hillsong London was only about 200 people in a lecture theatre, but it still was really like mini Hillsong, like tiny, tiny Hillsong. So they were doing the whole like worship leader on stage and the band behind them. And you know, I just kind of walked in and I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I love this. And then weirdly, two people were in the church that I knew from home. So it's weird, isn't it? Like the Christian circles that you get, like, and especially in a small country like England, we you kind of just know everyone. And so, yeah, there was like these two people there and they were like, oh, what are you doing here? I was like, what are you doing here? And they'd moved down to start this church or help Gary Clark with this church. I was hooked. What was your degree in? Popular music performance with drums as my major. So teaching wasn't your first degree? No, no, I didn't go into teaching until uh, 2008. So I was at uni in 2000. So I kind of did a couple of years in London and then went home, worked a couple of kind of call centre jobs and didn't really know what I was doing. And then started as a teaching assistant and then realised I wanted to be a teacher. So I did that a bit later on. So give us a bit of background on
2: what's it like Hillsong London 2000 and
0: yeah it was it was about 2000 2001 when I joined Harry would have been a bit younger then and <laughs> a bit younger less trendy he didn't he didn't quite have the you know the, the chic look that he tries to aspire to now and uh, so for me I was this like it was the first time away from home really properly so I'd gone to London aged 18 I'd never really lived away from home at all. I'd been completely brought up in the church. That's all I knew. So, So I gravitated to it because I needed home from home, you know. And when I got there, it was like, even though it was small, it felt big. It felt exciting. There was this kind of buzz. There was, you know, the up and coming pop stars there. And some people had got like records released. And, you know, I was attracted to that kind of like, wow, okay you're all cool here. Like I felt like small town, northeast girl had kind of wandered in to London and, and found this really cool place to hang out. So I felt like I might find my validation that I was seeking maybe there. And I did for a while. Like people were friendly. People were really, involved me in stuff. I got really quite quickly into the worship group, um, they they wanted me to, to because I had that contact who knew me from home, they knew I was a musician, they knew where I'd come from. So he was like, oh, speak to so-and-so about getting onto the worship team. And back then it was like, because it was small, they just kind of were like, yeah, cool, you can play. And when they realised I could play really well, <laughs> they were like, okay, cool, you can play now. And I remember, this is the saddest thing, I remember <laughs> being a bit of a fangirl, because don't forget, like I'd listened to their music way before. So I like knew all the songs, I knew all the people. It was almost like it was like a my favorite band. It's weird. And I remember saying something like, Oh, it's my dream to be able to play on stage with Darlene Check." And she was coming to, to London in the next few months. And they put me on stage with her and I played. And it was literally like this most incredible feeling for me because there was this incredible woman who I'd listened to for years and thought she was great and I look back now and I feel so I feel sorry for myself but you know when you don't know any different and you're in that bubble very big bubble but you're in that bubble you just it was just like all my dreams were coming true and so yeah that's how I I was hooked I was hooked in they referred to me as the chick drummer Everyone had a pseudo Australian accent, even though they were from like Lincoln or Yorkshire. Everyone's like, how are you? You know, talking like every day, every week. And it it was just a weird, wonderful, not so wonderful place. And I saw the church grow from a couple of hundred to then to a couple of thousand, then to bigger venues, bigger statuses. And as that happened, I felt more uncomfortable as the time went on, because I saw stuff that I didn't, I think the, the more I got into behind the scenes on stuff, the less I liked it.
2: Gary Clark is Australian, isn't he? Yes. But, and, and then he was sent there. Mm. Do you know much about the startup?
0: All I remember is they wanted to plant a church in London. He was the guy for it. He used to be a jockey and his jockey career didn't work out or something then he ended up coming to london and starting this church with his wife and his two kids and it was my friends from from the northeast who'd gone over there to australia and met him in australia and then basically they'd given up their life in the northeast and come down to support him but yeah it, that's what all, all i knew really and 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 really it was in its very first stages and i remember this is the other thing It's worth saying, I remember the day when the church stood up and prayed for Frank and Brian. It was around, when was it, like 2000, 2001, it all kind of came out. So it must have been around that time. Yeah, I remember them saying there's, you know, there's all this stuff going on about the church and we're under attack type thing, that language that they'd use. And I remember them asking us to stand up and pray for Brian and the family because of this thing that had happened with his dad (laughs) and everybody stood up and I didn't know what they were talking about really I hadn't really got any information or any because I wasn't really fully ingrained into the kind of you know the background of the church at this point it was only later that I realized what what everyone was standing up and, and praying for and praying against and I feel I feel a bit sick when I think about that day
2: It's interesting to me that that's what comes to mind to you straight away is that it was about praying for Brian and his family. Mm. You're not saying to me, yeah, Uh -uh." and that's how it was phrased. There's even a fair amount of disagreement about how that was presented because he has since, Brian has since said, you know, I was so open and honest from the beginning and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So Mm. never heard that from the other side of the world. What level of involvement time-wise are you putting in from the beginning and what's your family thinking about this as well
0: yeah interesting you ask that because my family I thought would be quite supportive because it was a well-known church and it was you know they had a big name but actually my family were quite skeptical of it all they sang their songs in their church Right, because everyone sings Hillsong songs in church. It's just a trendy thing to do. And especially at that time when it was all kicking off, uh, in terms of like uh, Hillsong becoming quite a well known household name, and you know, the songs were really popular. So people knew of Hillsong, but they didn't necessarily know about the church services and kind of the level of involvement was on that. So I remember having conversations with my parents and they were very kind of like just don't, you know, don't get too too Hillsong's not everything type thing. And I think they were worried about me at one point because I I did become a fanatic. I think. Can you give me
2: a little bit of an understanding of what the difference would be between what they were
0: okay with and what the issues were since they're both Pentecostal churches be the difference between the church i grew up in and Hillsong uh there wasn't much difference other than there was no prosperity gospel type we'd have offering we'd have the the 10% tithe understanding in my church at home there would be lively music it would look similar it wasn't as polished it wasn't as beautiful and i mean aesthetically more than anything so there was lots of crossovers, but I think my parents became concerned when I was fanatical about it. It was like all I'd talk about, I'd only talk about those people that I was meeting, the things I was doing. I was buying loads of stuff that they were were in the the gift shop. It would be anything that was said against Hillsong I'd get really defensive about. Looking back, I think I can use the word fanatical. I've since been diagnosed with bipolar and I probably can see that there are hints of that back then but I think fanatical probably is the right word I became obsessed obsessed with it
2: to what degree was that obsession encouraged and I will also ask you stuff I mean the mental illness side of things is so interesting is it chicken is it egg are people drawn to that environment who are vulnerable? Do they prey on people who are vulnerable? Does it exacerbate pre-existing conditions?
0: I think that's so a, a massive, a massive conversation. But I, it, from my point of view right now, I think it's the trauma that was caused through my experience that has given way to the, the bipolar diagnosis. And there's lots of people in my position. I've spoken to. Uh, in fact, there's a thing called religious trauma syndrome. And it has a lot of crossovers with uh, bipolar. And if you, in fact, because religious trauma syndrome isn't necessarily as recognized as something like bipolar, schizophrenia, etc. I actually fit the criteria of the, of the religious trauma syndrome, you know, symptom list, diagnosis list. I fit that. But because the doctor can't diagnose you with religious trauma syndrome as much as they can bipolar, I think there's crossovers that... It just explains where my brain's at at the minute, and I think that comes with uh, trauma. And you want to talk a a
2: little bit about the religious trauma
0: syndrome? How, yeah, so you know, it shows up how you knew what you were dealing with. Basically, I'm just going to read you because I've got it in front of me. It says things like impeded development so like social, emotional, sexual development, depression, anxiety, other mental health concerns, poor decision making skills, like I couldn't ever make a decision interestingly there's a book called you are your own by jamie lee finch and i read that because i saw the thing going religious trauma syndrome looked at the symptoms was like oh my god that's me then listened to the book and was like holy wow that's me she's like a therapist who has been through religious trauma syndrome and helped other people talk about it and one of the things was so many of her clients couldn't tell her their favorite color I thought I was the only person on earth who didn't have a favorite color. When she said that, I was like, oh my God, my conditioning has been so much down to the minutest point of, I couldn't tell you my favorite color because my entire existence was based on making decisions for myself that weren't for myself. Everything would be for the benefit of everybody else around me, my parents, the church, So then it goes, lack of self-confidence and self-esteem. I'm like, tick, 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 you know, pervasive feelings of guilt and shame. Sunday school, we got told that anything we did in our lives was being video recorded by God. And when we got to heaven, if, but when, Jesus would play this video back to us and we'd have to account for all of the bad things we did in front of him. That is so huge for a child. Yeah. I didn't know that was bad at the time. So I'm, I then listen to this, go about my life thinking, well, I can't do that because Jesus is watching and Jesus is filming me. And that then became a constant, constant existence in my brain subconsciously. I actually think I still have the effects of that the after effects of that I still carry guilt I I don't as much look I've done a lot of work a lot of kind of shadow work a lot of facing my trauma a lot of unpicking and healing and I'm going to say that proudly because I have put the work in and I have set my boundaries and I have took all of that by the horns and gone I'm going to face this I'm going to deal with it but You know, there's still tiny little things that come in where I feel like guilty or, you know, ashamed. And and luckily, my partner, my wife now, she'll just remind me and just say, don't worry, it's church guilt. And then I'll be able to recognize it and then let it go. But before that, I didn't have any awareness of it. That's incredible. People have experienced psychosis
2: for a lot less surveillance than that yeah I don't know how you get away from that as your childhood paradigm I
0: it makes me really sad it makes me sad for myself it makes me sad for the kids I was in Sunday school with who like we laugh about it now but 30 years on from kind of being in Sunday school I can still I can still sing the books of the Bible from beginning to end without stopping and you
2: are can, going to do
0: that for us. I'll, I'll do that for you <laughs> towards the end. I'll do that at the end. But, but like, you know, I do that and I actually I, I laugh at it like and I say oh, it's my party trick. But when I do it, my friends go, Oh, Emily, that's so sad. You know, I don't get like a a funny like Christians will laugh and ex-Christians will laugh, but my friends who see that they see a broken child who's had to remember the books of the bible in order to get a prize at sunday school in order to be popular and win the bible verse singing contest i don't know if anyone's read or um, seen orange is not the only fruit but when you listen to that so much makes sense of that indoctrination like that girl in the book you know she goes into school and i remember this as well and i'm you know it's embarrassing to share but i'm going to share it because i think it might help people but you know kids would say like have you got a boyfriend and i'd be like jesus is my boyfriend and i mean if anyone said that now i'd go oh god get that kid some help but i just got laughed at like it was just funny and i didn't know why i was being laughed at because all i knew was christian songs bible verses singing the books of the bible and that god was watching my every move and at some point i'd have to account for that
2: that's a very intense way to, to live and i'm wondering if then hillsong didn't appear a little bit more
0: life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh one.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
1: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too
0: Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I think when I walked in there and there was all these young, trendy people, good looking, bloody everyone was good looking. (laughs) I walked in there and was just like, wow, okay, this is, this is cool. And I didn't feel that myself. I never do feel that myself, but I, I never felt that, but I was like quite happy to be around that. And, you know, London was London and it's you know it's a cool place to be for some people but you know I struggled I had like two experiences in London really I was 18 I'd come from this kind of fundamental background and then into this like yeah just be cool and let's be cool together and and at the same time there was this whole battle going on in my head of who am I who is this person and I I didn't really ever answer that question I avoided it and interestingly enough back to the religious trauma syndrome symptoms difficulty forming a healthy adult relationship poor interpersonal boundaries I wanted to be everyone's friend I wanted to be best friends with everyone I told them everything I would just be that kind of like yeah just too open too much too intense at times but it's because I, you know, on a dog lead where it's an extendable one. So i would had like the dog lead on tight before and then the dog lead got extended a bit and, but I was still on the dog lead. Like I wasn't ever fully free. I had no idea who I was. No idea.
2: What kind of messages were you getting from Hillsong, the community, the leadership about sexuality, trying to figure out what kinds of messages are explicit? What's implicit?
0: Oh, well, so you're thinking, don't forget it's like two thousand two thousand one to two thousand three when I was there, and you know Ellen had only just come out a couple of years before that, so it wasn't like being gay was like a big thing or one something that would could be talked about in church. I'd come from the church where like it was clear to me that it wasn't even an option. Being gay was definitely not okay because I had people in my church who were praying and protesting against section 28, which was the law passed in the UK where schools couldn't promote same sex relationships and was, and all of that was kicking off and then also we had this i remember it very clearly we had this you know this guy who came uh, stood up and did a, a sermon about the fact that he used to be gay and now he's been healed and god's helped him get married to a woman and so i'd come from that so i'd already got it in my head that it's absolutely not okay hillsong never spoke about it once they never they never mentioned sexuality in any other sense other than heteronormative it was always encouraged for women to make sure that they were getting a boyfriend in the church. When colour, Con- this is the worst thing, when colour conference came along, I hated it because I i absolutely dreaded this whole thing because one, colour conference at the time was about 50 quid a ticket. At the time, back in like that time, like that 50 quid was so much money. And for as a student, there was absolutely no way I could afford that. So I kind of like, fine. And because I was on the worship team, I kind of got in free. So I did that. But they do this whole big thing on a Sunday, and I can't believe they did this. Gary would stand up and say, "Girls, you know um color's coming up, and um like guys, what would be a really nice thing to do if there's a girl that you've got your eye on, why not buy them a ticket to color conference and and Gary made a big deal about single men in the church. he'd point out if a guy was single and like almost advertise him at the front of the church for other single women, I mean. <laughs> Here's me. I knew because I'd had experiences in the past with attraction to women. So I kind of had that, buried it so deep in guilt that that could never, ever surface. And then I'm surrounded by all these beautiful women. And then uh, because I was a drummer, I kind of got like almost, I suppose, written off in terms of my availability. I was one of the guys and... It did nothing for my self-esteem and confidence whatsoever because it I was never gonna look like these women that they love to put on the posters and the album covers. I remember playing on the first live album that they did, and I was so excited because don't forget, Fanatical, I was it was dream come true. You know, I, I got to this point where I got to play on one of the albums that I'd been listening to my entire life. So there's me, and I put a load of work in, did all this stuff. And I didn't even get my picture on the cover of the album like there wasn't even a, a hint that I was there and I remember kind of people talking afterwards and hearing just like remember I said I didn't really like the inner workings of it And I think it was after the album that I kind of started going you know what I don't know what I'm doing here because what's the point point? and it was like hearing that you know Gary had picked person ABC for the next poster campaign and and I was like but they haven't been in the church as long as I have oh well what's the difference between them and me oh there's the difference the obvious difference is they're skinny pretty and and attractive to to kind of get people to come to the church I guess but there's me podgy old drummer who doesn't quite know herself very well and it is a bit awkward she doesn't look very good on a poster
2: you were working the same hours or more oh, yeah
0: we're talking a couple of years later now we're in uh, the mermaid theatre in London which was bigger than the one before. And we did two or three ch- church services a week on the Sunday. We would have lengthy rehearsals at some point on in the week. And then there was the, you know, the life group that people went to. And then there was the socials that everyone was organising. Majority of my time, I would say at least six nights a week, I was involved in something to do with Hillsong. Maybe, maybe every day at, at times because... I don't forget I was searching for validation I was searching for recognition and just someone to tell me I was good at what I and they did you know they were, I got a lot of kind of status for being the chick drummer sorry that was a terrible terrible accent but that's what they call me a you know, chick drummer I do a um, better accent than that but the weird thing is because you because I think there was more Antipodeans in there than English people at one point there's you get the little twang. How are you? You know, how was your week? I know someone now who's really high profile in that London church. And I was listening to him speaking and I thought, bloody hell, you're from the same place as me. Like in the Northeast, we talk like people, you know, think we're Geordies, but it, we are not Geordies. And he's got this pseudo Australian twang thing. And I'm just like, whoa, that's that's really taken over you. And I, it, it happened to so many people. They changed their accent. See, it was weird.
2: First of all, don't forget that we know nothing about the other places around the world. So, like, I did, you know, I had no idea what happened in London or what happened all day long. And that's so interesting in terms of the language. If you can infect people with your own cultural language.
0: Yeah, it was weird, actually. And it was, it was, there was this kind of like Australian culture within the London base. And so, Because we had so many visits from Bobby and Brian and we'd have visits from Joel eventually once the church, when the church grew bigger and bigger, we'd have far more kind of visiting, like more kind of fluid connections with Australia. They would go to the conference every year and they would come over here and do, I would say I probably fell into that without realising too. So it, it was all consuming. It was all consuming and I couldn't get enough of it. And yet at the same time, I felt like sh- because I was battling myself constantly, constantly wondering, what do I look like? Am I attractive? Will I get on the pictures this time? Will someone ask me out? Never once did I ever, ever, ever think that I could talk about being with a woman. There was no, no conversation, no opportunities. And I wouldn't do that anyway because of the guilt and shame. Don't forget, I would shamed myself out of, thinking that I was gay, I couldn't, I could, to the point where I ended up getting married to a guy, not in Hillsong, but later on, because that was the worst thing I could have ever done to myself and other people around me, as far as I was concerned. When I joined, there was a very clear message that servanthood was the way to get recognized if you like this kind of servanthood culture and he would always give the examples oh here's so and so and now look at him he's like you know assistant pastor or blah 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 and he started by you know giving up his Sunday mornings to come and set up the church and be on setup and you could be like that too if you just serve with anything that we ask you to do. So I saw people getting up at three, four o'clock in the morning to get across London to unload the van to set up that they'd go and, and, and set up the church ready for the Sunday and then they'd be on all day serving and serve, 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 serve and it was all about the more you did selfless service the more both God and in brackets gary would notice and i I remember one particular time i'd i'd been on the worship team for quite a while you know i was there every week playing at least one service a day not if if not two or three sometimes the music director kind of came up to me and was like oh you know gary said you did a good job today well done he wanted and i thought in my head and i'm pretty sure i said it out loud i thought can gary not tell me himself And I was in that church probably three and a bit years. And I would say I have had half a conversation with Gary Clark.
2: What would you say to somebody who said, look, you've just told me, you you know, you really loved it. You're really hungry for it. Nobody held a gun to your head to work so hard.
0: Like no one made me do it. If I, I could have left at any point, I could have walked away at any point. But there's this drawback. It's that I can't explain it, and it's addictive. It it fills a need, a hole there that's empty. But at the same time, I keep saying it, it makes you kind of walk away feeling great and feeling like shit all at the same time. So I was at uni at the time. I was surrounded by kind of one culture of the music scene. and but it was crossing over into my church thing and. There was no one else in my course who was playing at the top London West End theatres every week, twice a week. I was doing that. Right. So there's a pull because of the glamour and the glitz of it. You're always left hoping there'll be more for you. So there's this carrot that they're dangling, yeah, in front of you. And they're like, just serve us more. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. You're doing great. We, 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 you know, we love that you're on the team and keep dangling this carrot. And you hope that there'll be more status. And it was really all about status. It became, you know, very uh, self-absorbed, very, I, and like I said to you, you know, Gary didn't come and say well done to me himself, but he would say well done to the really good looking guys, you know, and the ones that looked and fit the part. I didn't like the separateness that was happening. So I noticed Gary go from kind of like this average looking guy wearing kind of dated suits with ties to, oh, he's lost a couple of stone and he's wearing skinny jeans now. And, oh, and he's getting, you know, picked up in a car and not bringing himself to church now. Or hang on a minute, there's a green room for the guests that I'm not allowed in. You know, and it became very them and us. And if you fit in, if you fit the criteria and you fit into the little box that they, you know, imagined up that you had to fit into, great. You got everything. You were invited to Gary's house. You could go and hang out with Darlene and the people who came to visit, or you were not in that. And you had to just look on with hopeful do-eyed. Well, I hope I get in there one day. <laughs> and now I just see it and I laugh about it didn't know at the time how how damaging it was. What
2: about financial? How was it affecting you financially?
0: I would say that that whole period of time in my life was the very reason I have no financial awareness now. I messed everything up financially at Hillsong. I gave when I did couldn't afford it because I was told. If I gave it, God would give it back tenfold. So there's me taking that literally. I'll put a tenner in and I'll get 100 quid back at some point. Right. I was putting in tenner after tenner after tenner after ten. Nothing came back to me. Could I afford to go and eat, you know, that day? No. But I'll give to the church because if I don't, it won't reward me later and that's messed up no one was saying to me don't worry if you if you can't give anything this week you know just you're doing enough you know god sees you and and then they started you know being able to pay by credit card and i was like this is really because then you don't have to think about the money you're putting inside the envelope you just put in a little number and and, and it gets processed later and it, it's really damaging and then there's like outside books being sold you need more money brian houston And I'm like, yeah, I bloody do, but you've got it all because I've just given you 100 quid over the last couple of weeks and I haven't seen nothing. Of course, I need more money, mate. They'd put on events throughout the week, so there'd be a a guest speaker, come and do a little conference, and we'd have to pay to go to that. I didn't come from a church where midweek meetings cost money, but at the same time don't forget that addiction thing that fanatical thing in my head was telling me I needed to be at that because if I was there my face was getting seen to be at the meeting because you don't want to be the one that's not there and miss out on that so I'd pay 20 quid to go to this you know Wednesday conference and and I didn't have any money I didn't have any and I didn't know how to manage money and no one was giving me good advice it was just come to the The service because it's all go to colour. And if you don't go to colour, you're going to miss out. And so you did whatever you could to try and get to these places and just gave up any kind of financial, you know, sense. And I remember particularly one day in church, Gary actually said the words, I can't wait for someone to donate a million pounds to this church. You know, the money was dripping off a lot of people in that church. It was very glitz, very glamour. All of a sudden, the kind of like people just started changing aesthetically. So back in the original kind of lecture theatre, where there's a couple of hundred people, there wasn't that much glamour. It was like a kind of we're doing Hillsong, but we're doing it with what we've got. And We're kind of going to make it work. And we've got the Hillsong name, so that's okay. And I remember we had a conference with Bobby Houston came to talk and Gary had said, oh, it's brilliant because we've hit 500 people today. That was the big number that he was kind of like, woo, 500 people have actually come. And then after that, it just kind of spiralled. And as it spiralled, the glamour just started kind of just being really obvious. And all these women just to kind of turning up like beautiful hair and the men were changing and Gary was changing and everything just kind of started to get really glitzy. And that was very obvious to me. And I didn't fit in there. I didn't fit that because I was never I'm never god I've never been a glamorous person (laughs) I don't even know what it means I remember kind of being really uncomfortable at a birthday party once and she's a famous singer now and so is he and and they had this really kind of glitzy birthday party and I just went along and I was just scruffy and I didn't fit in and I felt really I can't do this and I started to spiral I think into a bit of chaos
2: So that's a lot of information and there's a lot, lot more. We had quite a long conversation and as I say that editing is just so hard. Emily will be back next week. Obviously things changed this week when Brian Houston was charged with concealing an indictable offence. There's loads and loads and truckloads to be said about it and I'm sure it's going to cause a lot of changes for a lot of people so we'll keep an eye on how that progresses for now and there's been a couple of other projects that have cropped up so we'll be talking Leaving Hillsong once a week on Sundays and I'll figure out what else to do with the bonus material. Oh and people have been asking if you want to support this podcast there is a Patreon in Leaving Hillsong, there's a PayPal, there's all kinds of ways so You can be a loose change Larry for $3 a month on Patreon if you want. Just thought I'd let you know. Thank you so much for joining us in the conversation. And I hope you'll join us again for part two of my favourite colour, Emily's story. Talk then. Bye.